Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, part of the Marketplace Risk Master's Program. The Master's Program offers a full suite of virtual content, engagement, and resources focused on risk management, trust and safety, and legal strategy for startups. Be sure to download the mobile app from the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website to connect with hundreds of participants, speakers, and sponsors directly. The Master's Program is presented by Aon, Checker, PackSafe, and we want to thank them and all of our sponsors, including Appers Insights, King & Spaulding, Seifarth Shaw, Sitter City, Spectrum Labs, Tint AI, and Willis Towers Watson. Check out the Master's Program Sponsor Center on the Marketplace Risk website for more information about our sponsors to view content they have contributed and to contact them directly. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing and gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info@marketplacerisk.com, and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Elle. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast. Today, I have James Simbardi from Rent Items joining me for a discussion, and he is based in Tampa. Hi, James. Welcome. Hi, Elle. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks for talking to me today. Um, so can you tell me um, a bit about Rent Items and uh, what, what the items are and uh, how, how it all came about? Sure. Uh, rent Items is a peer-to-peer rental marketplace that is um, looking to um, take assets that are sitting idle in someone's garage, um, self-storage unit, basement, uh, retail store, warehouse, and um, allow others in the community, in the city, on a local level, to be able to rent those items out. Um, This gives the opportunity for the owner of the asset to make an income, as well as the renter to save money on things they really don't need to go out and buy, but a lot in a lot of cases don't have an option. Um, and if they're in need of something, uh, a lot of times they do have to be a consumer, purchase that item and have another item uh, just like kind um, that's sitting in their garage or their basement, just like their neighbor. And uh, so we, we really believe in um, sustainability and creating a more sustainable model by taking items that are already in the market and putting them to better use by offering up and sharing them with others in your local city and local community. Mm-hmm. And, and what sort of items are we talking about here? What, what have, Give us a na- few names of, of things that people have lurking in their garages that other people might want. Sure. Um, you know, I like to kind of break things down into to, two um, two categories. Uh, One I would say are proven uh, rental categories and then unproven rental categories. Um, In the proven rental categories, um, things like furniture, uh, exercise equipment, um, 
large um, um, equipment in terms of for doing DIY projects, outdoor sporting goods. Um, it, it could be just inventory that is um, that you're trying to sell that is not um, either moving off the shelf or it is, but having another opportunity and creating another channel of distribution through rentals and considering sharing um, instead of strictly and traditionally just buying and selling um, really opens up a whole nother um, gateway to opportunities that extend beyond um, where, you know, just traditional um, market marketplace activity yeah and so I suppose when you set up rent items you will have done a lot of research into peer-to-peer stuff sharing marketplaces and made the decision to focus on on a broader range now I've come across obviously I've been working the sharing economy for a few years now and I've seen some marketplaces come and go with this sort of rent anything type approach and I've also seen quite a few come through with much more specialist approaches for example things like you know very specifically camera equipment or very specifically DIY uh-huh. tools or um, construction tools etc what made you go for the, the broader range and what do you think the benefits are for the users and providers or renters and owners on on the site of having that that broader range and and the advantages for you as as a founder as well yeah so we're, we're definitely unconventional and and uh, non-conforming to what i would say the the, the normal b school approach the business school approach would be to um pick a, a category a niche um product or categorical area to focus on and build up um, the platform in the marketplace um, through the um, connecting the dots between someone that's looking for that specific category and you being the provider and dominant provider of that category. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, uh, we're just thinking differently. Um, we're really looking to unlock uh, some things that uh, we believe maybe wasn't feasible in the past because the technology and be able to leverage the technology, it just wasn't there yet. Um, we believe today um, there there is that ability to leverage technology to really um, almost help and aid in the ability to understand better what categories should be served up and presented to uh, someone that's using our marketplace and our platform so that their experience is highly tailored. And so we're, we're, it, where, where it may seem we're uh, lacking the ability to be focused and being niche oriented, we're just taking it, we believe we're just t- trying to take it to another level and thinking differently about um, niche as in localization. Um, and, and to the point of almost being hyper-local in presenting the, the right categories and the right products that fit best with those that would come to our, our marketplace so that they feel um, what they're seeing is highly relevant not lacking relevance. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because just to be devil's advocate here, I would, spo- I would suppose that 
that your requirement for a specialist item would depend on your location to a certain degree, say, for example, somebody wanting a surfboard to borrow, maybe because they're in a beach area, but also would depend on the individual and their own um, interests or preferences. So is there a way, is it really that the local, you know the localization of it and the niche or sorry niche <laughs> element um based on where they actually are is that enough to serve up what somebody might need because i don't surf but maybe if i was um in florida you know i might want i don't know to uh, get some equipment you know a car seat for one of my kids or something would that be enough that you would know the person or based on where they were or is it really about um, just having enough information so you can make what's served up relevant? But obviously, there's got to be you know some wiggle room on either side of that. Well, a real hypothesis at rent items is that it, it, I'll use I'm going to use the example uh, of uh, Tampa, Orlando, and Boston. Um, the interesting thing is Tampa and Orlando are about 45 minutes away from each other. Um, they're fairly close. Um, they're highly um, populated and growing cities. People call them tier two cities. And um, just because of their geographic location, uh, the types of items that you would find in the, the garage or the storage unit of the people that are in these two different locations that are fairly close to one another um, are, are going to be different um, because Tampa Bay, for example, is a peninsula. It's it's surrounded by water. So water sports is a huge um, part of the culture in, in Tampa. Um, and so I would say, I don't know the exact number, but uh, it feels like almost everyone here has a boat or some kind of um, uh, some kind of um, water sport related uh, um, sporting good, whether it be kayak or paddleboard or windsurf. Um, they, they, someone has some, you know, one of, one of either, in a lot of cases, one of each of those mm -hmm. um, wave runners. Um, whereas Orlando, it's a very highly tourist and travel destination. Um, so the, the items that we feel work really well in Orlando versus Tampa are are going to be very different. They're staple items, things like furniture and stuff. We call those in the proven category that work across all uh, locations. But um, there's also a lot of highly tailored specific items that are related to the culture of the area, the, the, the climate, the seasons. Um, uh, the density of the area, you know, New York is, is highly dense. You have a lot less room um, to store things compared to a Tampa or Orlando. And then you have uh, in a city like Boston, which things that would work in Orlando and Tampa in terms of um, needing snowblower, as an example, in, in, in Boston, we would never need in a, in a market like Tampa. Orlando. So we want to make sure that we have the right categories and the right mm -hmm. product for rent in each of these different 
major metropolitan mm. cities and areas. So, I mean, like looking back at the start of the sharing economy, I, I think people thought that the way would that it would evolve would be that there would become a, a kind of sharing marketplace for every type of item. And, um, you know, all the, the tool sharing you wanted to do would be on this website and, and all the rest of it. But now... I think that people have realized that that makes things very complicated. That means that makes for a lot of apps and a lot of platforms on your phone and your desktop, etc. But I suppose one thing that you may miss out on with having a, a marketplace that kind of does a bit of everything is the sense of community of, of like-minded people who share more than just the, the items they share, you know, their knowledge and skills, etc. And and obviously community is very important when you're creating a peer-to-peer marketplace to stop people Definitely. going off and um, you know in interacting off off the platform and, and also for, for growing and, and scaling as well as you can imagine. How do you how do you address that challenge when you have a marketplace for, for everything how do you accommodate the people that want to go on there and, and be part of a, maybe a community of people that you know are keen gardeners or surfers or, or something like that is it that they yeah. they have simply have to do that elsewhere or can you offer them something and how important do you think community is on a on a marketplace yeah uh, first first off community is essential i mean it, it you know the marketplace doesn't work without uh, the community and the buy-in from the community. Um, we see ourselves as an, a, a, a marketplace that's empowering a community. And by that, I mean our main focus and issue, and our, you know, part of our, our, our purpose, part of our culture, our, our core values uh, is revolves around the fact that we want to be community builders first. We're, we're not looking to create, maximize rental transactions and the utilitarian value of, for example, a bicycle and, and renting a bike. But our real aim is to bring social connectivity on a local level where neighbors who never even met each other before, but maybe live a few blocks away. Um, it's through that utilization and that transaction of the bike that connects them and builds community versus the the ideas, the focus is the, the bike and the transaction of that bike rental. Um, so we have three core areas we feel we're, we're driving uh, to have an impact. Number one, it is economical to help individuals and local business owners um, generate an income or and uh, it could be a supplemental or a sustainable income um, in addition uh, to help renters save save money because they don't have to go out and buy things they really don't need long term but just temporarily uh, number two having a social impact is you know hearing those testimonies of I just met my best friend because of rent items um, that's really our aim that's really our goal is to those are the kind of testimonies and commentary that we want to really hear because we know everything kind of will flow out from there and number three environmentally speaking 
um, because we're so localized. There's no packaging involved. There's no shipping involved. Um, it, it reduces the, the carbon footprint dramatically. The need for cardboard that's been building up in, I've seen it in, in apartment complexes. They're, they're having to rebuild and create a whole nother type of mail room uh, if, mm -hmm. you're, if you're building a new apartment complex because of the overwhelming amount of boxes that have to come through there on a daily basis. So these are the things that I've seen that have basically um, encouraged and, and, and lit a fire to want to do something in these three areas. That's interesting because um, when I think about peer-to-peer um, -peer marketplaces and, and the way that, that they've evolved and um, watching it, you know, from, I suppose, my point of view, just sort of slightly outside it all, which is fascinating. Um, when you were talking there about um, proven assets and, and assets that, you you know, people may think that they they couldn't rent out, but they can discover they are, it really does open possibilities up for people, doesn't it? But surely that there must also be um, types of asset that just don't lend themselves to to be shared or, or rented out and I, I was actually thinking about some of these before um, we came on the podcast here and I remember seeing one um, for uh, makeup which was a it was a startup I, I can't remember where it was I think it was in Asia somewhere and somebody during that period where you kept seeing a sharing economy for this the Airbnb for this and it was makeup and I thought gosh that, that's not going to work because it's something that many people use all, you know, every day, quite a lot. Um, I do. Uh, and it's also not particularly expensive. And it made me think about those sort of criteria for something that works uh, as a sharing asset. And do you, do you consider things to have to meet certain criteria to before you can consider it? I suppose there must be some where it might surprise you that people want to share it and uh, that works great, but there must be some benchmarks that you you have to have. And what do you consider to to work really? Yeah. Um, so before launching rent items, uh, I actually um, uh, started and ran a uh, business to consumer um, uh, rental company in Orlando, serving families that were going to the theme parks and uh, providing them things that they needed. And I, and I really learned a ton from, from that experience. And one of the things I learned was that there's, there's two rules of thumb to follow. Uh, the first rule of thumb that we use is that the item has to be uh, expensive enough to warrant renting versus buying. So for example, a hammer, uh, it would never be a good item to to rent on our platform or any rental platform or marketplace for that matter. Uh, it's just too easy to go out to your local hardware store like Home Depot and uh, purchase that item. It just the convenience of it, the cost of it, it just uh, makes more sense. Um, so the item, you know, our rule of first rule of thumb is the item has to be expensive enough to warrant being a being a rentable item, we we use the benchmarking of two thousand dollars or more as in terms of a purchase price. But would you um, say, James? Also, just sorry to cut over there, but I just I was thinking about that amount. It's quite high, but I was thinking that do you think that people would be more predisposed to to rent something rather than buy it 
um, of a lower value because of maybe a desire to reduce waste um, and you know maybe if it was a plastic item that they knew that they would you know be jettisoning at the end of the use or you know that they didn't want to keep that they might actually rent something of a lower value than that rather than purchase it because they just didn't want to be part of that sort of consumerism do you think that that has evolved a bit I do, but I think that falls kind of into um, what I would say our rule number two is, and that that the item is not easily accessible. And what I mean by that is that the item doesn't necessarily have to be a high-priced item, but in some in some sense, it needs to be difficult to acquire. And I'm kind of grouping the environmental aspect into that, and I'll give you perfect example of why and what how that plays out. Um, stroller rentals in Orlando is, is a proven, call it a proven category, rental category. And so as you're going to the theme parks like Disney, you a lot of times in the past, you might have brought your own stroller, but it would get damaged. Now you have to pay for it if you bring it on a plane. Um, whereas um, it just makes now a lot more sense to rent out a stroller, but a stroller in itself is not an expensive item. It doesn't fall in that that um, that uh, rule number one, um, but it's not easily accessible because of the fact that it's not easy to travel with. And why not, you know, get a really nice stroller instead and rent it out? And at the end of the day, you have something to return. Um, one of the big issues and examples of, of why someone might also rent a stroller and, and why it falls into category numbers rule number two is because so many we call umbrella strollers um, would get purchased uh, locally and then on the way to the airport literally just dumped um, at the airport and it's actually a big problem that's terrible um, I don't know really yeah. just literally abandoned I suppose it's like people abandoning their tents at festivals it always seems like an incredible amount of waste but I suppose these things can be bought you know, um, quite cheaply, and it's just worth it for them to just, you know, remove themselves of the hassle of getting rid of it. But it's, it's awful. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, you know, to your point, I think that the benefits start to, to, to increase when you start thinking about these things and saying, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to add to the mess and the, and the chaos and, and, and just dump another item that's perfectly good i mean it's got like five days of use on it mm -hmm. but you really have no one else to give it to you have no one else to relinquish it to you don't know anyone in the mm -hmm. area you're just you're there for vacation you're leaving and um it yeah just literally ends up in the trash and in, in the landfill um a perfectly good product and item that someone could really use um for their family that may not be able to afford Board one uh, otherwise. So these are kind of the issues where why sharing and is is so much makes so much sense. And why we're doing this is because we want to encourage um, you know culture and and in society in the world to to really see a better way of um, not being protective of their assets. And that's, I think, the, the, the challenge that we need to overcome is um, dealing with the protectionism, like the idea is this is what I own, this is mine, 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 you know, you think of like two 
children um, fighting over a toy, um, we just become adults and we still have that same mentality. And um, so if mm -hmm. we can educate and take a different approach and saying, well, you know, the, the, the value of this asset actually is worth a lot more than me just owning it and keeping it stored. I can actually potentially not only pay for that asset, I might be able to pay for it three or four, 10, 20 times over um, by sharing it. And, and that's what I've experienced being in the rental industry. Um, that's the power of, of renting and sharing is that um, it's kind of the gift that keeps on giving where people, you can utilize it, you know, Will there be normal wear and tear and more scratches and dents and things like that that might occur? Um, yes, but again, at the end of the day, if you've already paid for that item multiple times over, does that really, how, how much is it really um, a problem? Mm -hmm. and, and how much of the emotional value that's attached to it in a lot of cases, how much does that still outweigh the cost benefit analysis of renting and sharing. Yeah, I think, I mean, that leads perfectly into what I was going to ask you as a sort of concluding question here is about the future, I suppose, and about access over ownership, which is a phrase we use a lot in this space. But I do think that there's a new generation coming through, probably Generation Z, millennials, who don't have quite such a focus on on ownership and I, I I wonder where this comes from um it's probably maybe a focus on the environment but also I think as uh young people have uh, grown up they've seen technology getting smaller and and they've stopped sort of buying although there is a return to vinyl versus um you know just listening to things on Spotify but you know in general they they seem to have less things with them and I've noticed that um, so my, my stepdaughter's friends, that, that generation, that very few of them own cars, whereas when I was sort of 17, you know, getting your first car was very important. So I do think there's a shift um, definitely taking place. But, but where does this go? Because in the renter, owner or user provider equation, someone has to own it. So it's not that, you know, ownership is over, is it? It's that there's a, um, an understanding that an item is maybe something for several people to use um, and, and to get a lifetime value out of it, maybe a better quality item as well. Would you say that, that that's, um, that's a good summary, I suppose, of, of the way that we need to think about things rather than disposable cheap items that we all have fewer owners and and many renters is that is that the the equation there yeah i mean i think one of the things that one of the benefits the big benefits can be incentivizing manufacturers and and companies to produce better quality product and things that last longer i think we lost a lot of that um, as an example, I had a, um, a blender that had a supposedly lifetime value on it. That's I paid it a lot extra because it had that, that label on it. And I, I had a 25 cent part fail on me. I didn't I barely use the blender, but it was, you know, past its, uh, call it normal one year warranty period, even though there was no one way warranty because it was lifetime warranty. Um, but the part 
being 25 cents, the manufacturer didn't have the, the part to replace it. And so their encouragement was, well, it's no longer, we don't no longer honor the lifetime warranty and therefore you have to purchase a new one from us. And I, 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 I was shocked. Oh um, my goodness. That's, that's horrendous. Um, it was. And I remember my, my grandmother's blender being from the same uh, company. Um, um, and they, um, it, it, to this day, that blender still works and mm. it's probably, you know, 60 plus years old. Um, and so you think, well, what, what's going yeah. on here? What, what happened here? What changed? Um, it was a so big think, event, wasn't it? And, and, you know, when we were kids, it was a big event when there was a new thing, like a new um, washing machine or something. And, and nowadays you expect that sort of, you know, that three-year cycle of something just sort of packing up and having yeah. to be replaced. And it just, it, it, it's something that we've all got used to. Um, which is which is shame. That's an amazing lifespan for a blender. I, I might speak to you after the podcast and find out what brand that was. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's just you know, I, I think I think that um, you know, as examples to, to your point, I think that the today the the, the two to three year lifespan for um, consumer goods and others is is kind of the norm, and it's and it's because of that, it's costing consumers to be more consumers. And, and because of that, it's costing them to be in debt. They're, on average, the last statistic was that the average, at least American household, is $16,000 in credit card debt. That's on average. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can imagine what part of the reason the systemic problem, I would suggest, is you are having to replace your refrigerators and your your appliances and your things um, that you would hope or think that would last a, a, a good long time um, are, are failing fairly easily and quickly. Another point to make is that the last statistic I heard was 11 million uh, lawnmowers a year are purchased, new ones purchased each year. And if you can imagine in, a, in, a, in the suburbs, everyone around you has a lawnmower and it gets used maybe 2% of the total week. Um, it's just, it's, it's an insanity type of situation. Uh, is the, is the lawnmower have such uh, personal value that it can't be um, yeah. shared yeah. among others in yeah, your community? That's it. You can imagine someone being attached to their car, but I don't think I've heard of anyone who's really attached to their lawnmower. And, I, and you know, it sounds to me like, you know, the consumer isn't benefiting from, any of this somebody is but I don't think right. it's, it's someone at the top isn't it James it's been such a pleasure to talk to you today and this is fascinating you stuff too. and I hope we can continue the conversation I think you know stuff sharing is um you know is, is the way the way to go it's just um really a, a fascinating subject to talk about in depth and um yeah and I wish you all um good luck with um with rent items too thanks so much Thank you. I appreciate the time. and Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you for tuning into the Master's Program Platform Podcast. Check out the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website at marketplacerisk.com, where you will find 12 tracks of content featuring over 80 speakers in more than 65 sessions. You can also download the mobile app to connect with participants, speakers, and sponsors from around the world. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.